is <laughs> what's going on true crime fans i'm your host Heath, and i'm your host daphne and you're listening to going west i don't know why we both just laughed i think we looked <laughs> I was, at each other and i something was waiting clicked. yeah i was waiting for the drop for the beat drop there it dropped so <laughs> before we get into today's case Thank you so much. Huge shout out to Christina. Yes, thank you, Christina. You recommended this case to us recently, and we really appreciate that. If anybody else has a case they want to recommend, we've gotten a lot lately. And I think I said that last time, but every time I mention where to recommend cases to us, we just get a ton more. So thank you so much to Christina. If you are interested, anybody out there in recommending a case to Heath and I, head on over to your email and email us at goingwestpodcast at gmail.com. That's definitely the best way to get it to us. Yes, and also before we get into this one today, I want to highlight the fact that Tiffany's mom, Hillary, actually wrote a book called Where's My Tiffany? And that was published back in 2011. So if you're looking for a true crime book, I definitely suggest that you go support a woman who has suffered a very real and great loss of her daughter. It's extremely detailed as well. So Thank you in advance if you check it out. And also, thank you for listening to this episode. Yes, we appreciate all of you guys so much. Thanks for tuning in. All right, guys, this is episode 181 of Going West. So let's get into it. February of 1989, a 20-year-old woman headed out for a late afternoon power walk in Florida and didn't come home. After conducting the largest search in Alachua County history, investigators concluded that she was likely the victim of a serial killer. This is the story of Tiffany Sessions. Tiffany Louise Sessions, whose family called her Tiff and Tiffy, was born on October 29, 1968, to parents Hillary and Patrick Sessions in Tampa, Florida. When Tiffany was just a year old, her parents divorced, but by all accounts, she had a wonderful childhood with both parents separately. She traveled all around the country with her mother, Hillary, who was previously in the U.S. Air Force and then became a life insurance agent. And uh, Tiffany even went to school in California, Texas, and Massachusetts, where Hillary's parents' farm was located. But ultimately, Tiffany settled into an exclusive boarding school called Lawrence Academy, located in Groton, Massachusetts. And with Tiffany's father, Patrick, working as a real estate developer in South Florida, her family was known to be wealthy and very well known in the community. And this allowed Tiffany to take part in sports like skiing and horseback riding throughout her upbringing. And she even was a competitive horseback rider and won numerous awards. And because of this, she was an avid athlete and played field hockey in school. But her favorite pastime and her exercise of choice was power walking. Since she suffered from shin splints, which are like painful tears in the muscle and bone tissues due to overuse, obviously in your shins, Uh, she didn't typically jog or run, which is why she loved power walking so much. But going back for a moment, when Tiffany was around four years old, her father Patrick and his new wife Kitty had a son named Jason, giving Tiffany a younger sibling. Tiffany's mother remarried as well to a man named Doug, and Tiffany seemingly had a very happy and fortunate life in Massachusetts with them. But when it was time to head off to college, she headed back down to Florida to attend the University of Florida in the city of Gainesville. Gainesville is a city in northern Florida that's pretty centrally located. It's just about an hour's drive to the coast whether you go east or west. Back in 1989, there was a population of nearly 100,000 people, and it was known to be a pretty safe city, 
And since we're talking about Gainesville, you might be thinking about the Gainesville Ripper right now, who was a man named Danny Rowling, who in August of 1990, just about a year and a half after the case of Tiffany Sessions begins, murdered five students over the course of four summer days. And for anybody who would recommend that we cover that, we did cover the Gainesville Ripper case in the very first episode of our Patreon show, which is called Real Crime, if anybody wants to check that out. And um, I know that that case was the inspiration for the movie Scream, not to take away from the horrible tragedy of it, but kind of interesting. Yeah, definitely interesting. But this case itself, you know, as you just said, is incredibly tragic. And it resulted in the untimely deaths of 18-year-old Sonia Larson, 17-year-old Christina Powell, 18-year-old Krista Hoyt, 23-year-old Manuel Taboda, and 23-year-old Tracy Pauls. But before this happened, Tiffany attended the same university where those horrible murders would take place. She had originally wanted to attend Vanderbilt, which is a private university in Nashville, but due to financial reasons, she attended the University of Florida, also known as UF, where her father wanted her to go. At this time, she was much closer with her mother, the person who really cared for Tiffany, both financially and emotionally, and they were both a bit disappointed that he wouldn't help pay for Vanderbilt. But Tiffany was accepted to UF for the fall of 1986 and was excited to get started on a career and life for herself. And despite the school not being her first choice, she was super happy to be near family. Because at this time, uh, her mom was living outside of Tampa, so both her parents are living in Florida at this point while she is. Tiffany majored in finance and she opted out of pledging to any sorority because she thought it would distract her from her studies. But she did let loose during her freshman year a little bit and enjoy various parties and make a lot of friends. Because according to her brother Jason, Tiffany was, quote, the life of the party, a lot of fun, very outgoing, very social. And her grandmother Ellen referred to her as both a physically and emotionally strong woman while other friends and relatives called her cheerful, energetic, bright, and somewhat headstrong, someone who was not afraid to express her opinions. After her freshman year, Tiffany moved from her dorm to an off-campus apartment with her friend Kathleen, who was a pharmacy student, and this was also in an effort to maximize her academic career and focus less on partying and friends. She was very serious about wanting to go into business and potentially even get a real estate broker's license. And during the summer before her junior year, she was working as a receptionist in her father's office at Arvita's Weston Division, where her father Patrick was the president. And this was to help her gain experience in this particular business. She knew she wanted to be a COO, chief operating officer of some company, but according to her mom, she did not want to be a CEO, a chief executive officer, because uh, she didn't want to have to fire anyone. So that kind of shows her personality a little bit more as well. Yeah, it definitely does. So in February of 1989, 20-year-old University of Florida junior Tiffany Sessions was looking forward to her upcoming annual ski trip in Aspen, Colorado with her father Patrick and her grandmother Ellen. She was still living in an apartment with her friend Kathleen, called the Casablanca East Condominiums in the 2600 block of Southwest 35th Place. Although we can't say what exactly this area looked like 30 years ago, but today there's a lot of apartment buildings and homes in this area with palm tree lined streets and lots of greenery, so it's a very beautiful place to live. Southwest 35th Place looks like somewhat of a main road that leads directly to a highway. And the reason we're trying to give you guys a bit of a visual of the roads is because something very tragic would occur right in this area to Tiffany. On Thursday, February 9th, 1989, between around 4 and 5 p.m., Tiffany told her roommate and friend Kathleen that she was going to go on her usual power walk on nearby Williston Road. Now, Williston Road looks very much like a rural highway with one lane on each side, and then beyond them, lots of trees and some grassy land. And we did post photos of this area on our social medias for everybody to see. So Tiffany was doing these exact walks pretty much every day. And they were part of her new exercise regimen that she had started doing in the new year just about a month prior. This power walk was typically about an hour and she always took the same route. 
turning around at the same spot and then walking back home. Typically, and on the evening of February 9th, 1989, Tiffany did not bring her wallet or keys with her on the power walk, just her Walkman. She knew that her roommate Kathleen would be there when she returned, and she mentioned that she would be back within an hour. On this particular evening, Tiffany was wearing a white pullover sweatshirt with gray horizontal stripes on it and the word Aspen on the front, red sweatpants, and tennis shoes. And like I just mentioned, she had her black Sony Walkman with her, and then she was also wearing a silver and gold Rolex wristwatch. When 7 p.m. rolled around and Tiffany still wasn't home, Kathleen was confused, but she waited a bit longer, just hoping that she went for a longer walk than expected, until 9 p.m. arrived. By that time, Tiffany had been gone for over four hours, which she had never done with her walks before. So Kathleen called around to different friends, but no one knew where Tiffany was. With this, Kathleen was so worried that she called the police, who took the information and gave Kathleen a case number in return. Then, Kathleen made the call to Tiffany's mother, Hillary, to explain what was going on. And Hillary was actually waiting for a call from Tiffany that evening, so when she received a call from Kathleen instead regarding Tiffany's whereabouts, she was horrified. And Tiffany had planned to be back between 5 and 6 p.m. before the sunset for the evening, which was just after 6 p.m. So not only had it been many hours past her original plans by the time Kathleen called police, but it also had been dark for many hours at this point. Yeah, and usually Kathleen would go on these power walks with Tiffany, but that evening she had to study for a pharmacology exam, so she was unable to join. Kathleen continued to look around for Tiffany between driving the route that she would have walked and noticing Tiffany's car was still in the parking lot. So this tells us that, you know, Tiffany did not get in her car and go somewhere after this, and she didn't have her keys anyway. They were inside the house. Right, but that's kind of the first thing you would think of is, you know, maybe since it's been so long, she would have, you know, taken her car and driven somewhere. But, you know, the fact that the car is still there and Tiffany's not back, that leads them to believe that something has gone wrong. Absolutely. So Hillary and her husband, Doug, spent the evening making various calls, but they couldn't find any additional information on where Tiffany was. So the following morning, they headed to Gainesville themselves around 6 a.m. to help in the search for her. Something very eerie that we wanted to mention from Hillary Sessions' book, Where's My Tiffany?, is that just over four months before Tiffany went missing, in September of 1988, Hillary woke up around 4 a.m screaming Tiffany's name. She had an extremely vivid dream that Tiffany was dead in the backseat of a car on the side of a road. Hillary tried to contact Tiffany the entire day, just wanting to hear her voice and know that everything was okay. But she didn't pick up the phone. It wasn't until many hours later that she learned that Tiffany had been at her dad's house in Miami after seeing Elton John in concert and they finally spoke on the phone, with Tiffany laughing that her mom was worrying too much. So, you know, this is definitely a devastating and pretty uncanny uh, foreshadowing. Oh, absolutely. It just, it blows my mind when I read that. I, you know, because I did read some of um, her mom's book, Where's My Tiffany? I haven't finished yet, but it's really amazing so far and super detailed. And that's why we want to shout it out to you guys, because I know a lot of you guys like true crime books, of course. But wow, like what a weird, what a weird thing to happen just months earlier. So now her mom's kind of having this same fear again, like did something happen or is just one of those things where we can't reach her? But this is a little different because she went out for a walk. She didn't bring really any of her things and she's been gone for hours. So this leads to a more worrisome situation. Yeah, absolutely. So the day after Tiffany was last seen, her entire family was out looking for her. Sadly, with there being no indication of a crime scene and no evidence of anything happening at all, police didn't jump into action on Tiffany's case. And although her family was confident that Tiffany would not have run away, they didn't want to leave any stone unturned. Two days after she went missing, which was Saturday, February 11, 1989, the police were involved in the search for her and checked her apartment and bedroom for any clues. But since she went missing during a walk, 
Her apartment itself was not a crime scene anyway, and nothing was found. Three days after she went missing on Sunday, February 12th, her father Patrick told the South Florida Sun Sentinel that they were in the process of flooding Miami. He added, quote, if she truly ran away, there really aren't any other places. So Patrick himself lived in Coconut Grove, which is like a gorgeous, incredibly safe neighborhood in Miami. And Tiffany visited him there often whenever she had a school break or during the summertime. And for reference, Gainesville and Miami is about, they're about a five hour drive apart or an hour and 20 minute flight. So she loved going down there. But even so, her family didn't understand why she would run away there when she was very focused on school and she could always visit Miami whenever she wanted to. Yeah, there's no point in her running away to Miami. Her father lives there. Yeah, like she she visited him often, so why wouldn't she just go to his house if she was going to go there? Also, why would she go away on a walk at night and then just go to Miami with none of her things? Like it just it didn't make any sense. Right. So, kind of kind of a bunk theory. And by this time, like Daphne had briefly mentioned, her mother Hillary had relocated with her husband Doug to the Tampa area which is just about a two hour drive from Gainesville. So she did have family nearby and she was very close with her mother speaking on the phone almost daily. And she didn't show any signs that she wanted to run away, especially since she had told her roommate that she would be gone for just about an hour. While Tiffany's family passed out hundreds of flyers throughout Miami-Dade County and the FBI conducted their own search of the area, around 40 people, including local police, a helicopter and bloodhounds searched Gainesville for Tiffany. And although these big searches were happening, nothing was being uncovered, making Tiffany's disappearance seem like a potential abduction. Earlier, we had mentioned that Tiffany's brother Jason remembers Tiffany being extremely outgoing, which is why he told News 4 Jax, quote, It wouldn't surprise me if somebody stopped at the side of the road, if she was walking by for her to approach the vehicle and speak with them. Her father Patrick stated, quote, She's very smart. She's tough and very opinionated. She would try to talk her way out of any ordeal. We know you guys love a good mystery, especially one with twists and turns. Am I right? This is why you guys are going to love June's journey. Step into the role of June Parker while she tries to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder in the roaring 1920s. In this hidden object mystery game, put your detective skills to the test. While you're on this quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret, you can customize your very own luxurious estate island and let your imagination run wild. Daphne and I actually love to play this game together because you can chat with and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. It is truly so much fun. You guys are going to love it. So what do you think? Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. As true crime listeners, you're aware of the dangers out there in the world. So why not keep your home as safe and secure as possible? Daphne and I do this by using Simply Safe. For award-winning security and peace of mind wherever your summer plans take you. When we get ready for our summer trips this year, I will feel so much better about leaving the house knowing that Simply Safe has our back just freeing me from my constant anxieties. And also something I love is that their system blankets your entire home in protection from break-ins to fires to floods. And with indoor and outdoor cameras to choose from, you will feel safe any time of day or night. And Simply Safe is backed by 24-7 professional monitoring agents to help stop crimes in real time. Which is part of why they were named the best home security system of 2024. Simply Safe has given us and so many listeners real peace of mind, and we want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with Fast Protect Monitoring at simplysafe.com/goingwest. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Do you want to earn cash back while you shop? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out Rakuten, especially because this week, May 6th through May 13th, 
Rakuten is having their biggest cashback event of the year with 15% cash back at hundreds of stores. Rakuten is the shopping platform to use so that you can save big while you shop. They're partnered with over 3,500 stores across all categories, including fashion, beauty, electronics, home essentials, travel, dining, and so many others. Some of our personal favorite participating stores are Ray-Ban, Hydro Flask, Clinique Online, and Verbo, just to name a few. There are so many big stores and brands that you're already buying from. But don't miss this major deal. It's a limited time only with eight days of these high cashback rates, so you can save more than usual. Membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you can get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Sometimes Daphne and I are doing research for Going West, and we subscribe to different newspapers from all around the country, and then we forget to unsubscribe. But that's exactly why we love Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You'll be able to see all of your subscriptions in one place, and if you see something you don't like, Rocket Money can help you cancel it in just a few taps. It is seriously that easy. And that's why Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things that you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash going west. That's rocketmoney.com slash going west. rocketmoney.com slash going west. Heath and I are major sufferers of seasonal allergies. They are the worst. It can even be difficult to host this show when our noses are all clogged up. We have tried brand after brand, but luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. And big shout out to Claritin for supporting this show and providing us with samples. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. I feel like I sneeze all day long. I always have an itchy face, but now I can actually go outside in the grass and not have a sneeze attack or be stuffed up thanks to Claritin D. Are you ready to live as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so that you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. As the days passed on, over 250 volunteers came together to search the wooded area and swamps near where Tiffany had gone on her walk, just looking for anything that would lead them to her, and particularly her Walkman or her watch. But the search was called off by February 19th, so 10 days after she disappeared, when nothing was found. On top of this search, another was done, which included 400 military personnel who banded together on the very foggy Saturday, February 18th, searching a five-square-mile section near her apartment complex. At this time, and possibly to date, this was the largest search ever in Alachua County. And although bloodhounds had tracked her scent near her apartment the week earlier, they failed to track it again and lead to any concrete areas. Even 500 students got together to search as well, looking for this beautiful five-foot-two, blonde, 125-pound, 20-year-old. Police continued to follow up on leads, but unfortunately, still, nothing was uncovered. Yeah, it's basically like she just vanished into thin air. Yes, this is absolutely one of those cases, and we don't come across them too, too often, 
But this is exactly that. Like, she's just nowhere. There's no trace of her. Yeah, and this being 1989, it makes it a lot harder as well because... Can't track her phone. Yeah, can't track her phone. Less opportunity for CCTV. Um, And like you said, nothing was left behind at whatever scene she was potentially taken from. Yeah, absolutely. So with this, the months kind of just rolled on and there was just no sign of Tiffany or what happened to her. In April, her father told the South Florida Sun Sentinel, quote, It's hard to imagine with the amount of publicity that this case has gotten and the amount of work that's gone into it from law enforcement agencies that we haven't turned something. I'm convinced we've done everything that anyone can do. The private investigator who helped with this case, a man named Wayne Black, explained that he had interviewed, quote, literally thousands of people, yet they seemingly weren't any closer to knowing what happened to Tiffany. In August of that same year, six months after Tiffany disappeared, law enforcement remained dumbfounded. Detective Eckert stated, quote, I kept thinking, maybe she's upset about something. Maybe she's upset about her grades. Then we find out her grades are okay. She's not having any drug problems. Is she pregnant? Did her doctor tell her that she's dying of cancer? No. Did this, that, or the other thing happen? No. Did she meet a new boy? No. As you start eliminating these things, these lists that you go down, your anxiety levels start taking off. I've lain awake nights worrying about it, trying to figure out where do we go from here? What do we do next? Tips continue to roll in with people saying they thought they spotted her from anywhere between Maine and Mexico, and on the same day, only proving that these sightings were more than likely false. Detective Eckert continued, quote, I really don't think she's on a beach in Aruba or she's in Hawaii. I don't believe that's what happened to Tiffany Sessions. I don't believe she's voluntarily gone. But by the same token, I hope she is. About a year later, in August of 1990, when the Gainesville Ripper murdered five students in Tiffany's very city, investigators pondered if the same man was behind her disappearance. Which makes sense. I mean, these are two tragedies that happen in the very same city that isn't all that big. That's supposed to be pretty safe. Right, 100,000 people. That's, that's not a lot of people. Yeah, not at all. So, of course, they're thinking about this, but they don't know originally who is behind those murders either. But the following year, when Danny Rowling was arrested for the Gainesville Ripper murders, investigators determined that he couldn't have been behind Tiffany's murder, too because he had been in Shreveport, Louisiana at the time, where he committed three other murders that same year. And for anyone wondering, Shreveport to Gainesville is like a 12-hour drive and a five-hour flight due to uh, requiring a connecting flight. So Danny Rowling was out. But then another potential suspect emerged, a man named Michael Knickerbocker. Although Michael Knickerbocker was out of prison when Tiffany disappeared, he later was imprisoned for five brutal rapes in the Gainesville area. And then 15 years later, Michael was found guilty of murdering 12-year-old Megan Renaud. Megan had been kidnapped in the middle of the night from her family's home on March 23, 1989, so a month and a half after Tiffany vanished. And her body was found just four days later in a shallow grave near her family home. She had been shot in the head. And after re-examining DNA in 2004, Michael was charged for her murder. At the time of her murder and Tiffany's disappearance, Michael Knickerbocker was just 24 years old. So the murder of Megan, as well as the other rapes, all happened around early 1989 in the Gainesville area, making him a potentially good suspect for Tiffany's abduction. Well, on top of this looking like a good possibility, he actually told fellow inmates that he murdered Tiffany and that he chained her to a tree before putting her body in the Caloosanatchee River near Fort Myers. So when this information made its way to law enforcement, they tried to see if they could prove that he was behind Tiffany's murder, but ultimately, they didn't believe that he actually really did it. And we know that people try to take credit for murdering people that they never murdered. Yeah, we see that all the time. Yeah, which uh, it's beyond me. But, you know, so because of that fact, law enforcement figured that this was probably one of those situations. 
Now, regarding what actually happened to Tiffany, it was still unclear. But police were thinking that while she was on her power walk, she probably had, you know, her headphones in and couldn't hear anything around her. So maybe when a car pulled up, she didn't see them and someone snatched her and murdered her. Or someone pulled over and tried to get her attention. She spoke with them and they abducted her. One of the theories even included one of her father Patrick's business associates down in Miami abducting her to get revenge on her father, though this seemed a bit unlikely. As crazy as it seemed, there wasn't another real potential suspect in Tiffany's case until 2013, so nearly 25 years after she disappeared. By that time, Tiffany would have been 45 years old. And the Sessions, of course, had held out hope that someday they would find out what happened to their beloved Tiffany. And days before the 25-year anniversary of her disappearance, on February 6th, 2014, police announced that although they presumed Tiffany was dead, they felt confident that a man named Paul Eugene Rolls was her killer. So let's talk about Paul Rolls here for a second. So yeah, let's do it. Paul Eugene Rolls Jr. was born on April 28, 1948 in Pennsylvania to parents Laura and Paul Eugene Rolls Sr. alongside his brother David. And he had a bit of a tough upbringing on account of his mother, who was a nurse, sadly having a nervous breakdown, which resulted in her going in and out of mental hospitals for the rest of her life, while his father, who worked in the steel mills, had a problem with alcohol and could often get physical. His father once tried to hang himself, but the rope allegedly broke. Paul had issues from childhood, and at the age of eight years old, he tried to strangle a cat. At 12 years old, he was watching women through their windows and sometimes stealing their bras and undergarments and occasionally cutting or burning these undergarments. Such a weird thing to do. I mean, that just, I don't know, to me kind of shows his aggression and don't even get me started on the whole cat thing. Like, just so, so fucked up. Yeah. So by this age, he also fantasized about raping and torturing women. So this is from a very early age. Yeah, I mean, this is 12 years old. He is thinking about torturing women. Yeah, and he also explained later on to a court-appointed psychiatrist that he was having these thoughts. And although he later had no problems discussing the horrible things he did to women, which we're going to discuss, he allegedly shed some tears discussing the cat incident. So, you know, this is kind of weird because... You would think it would be the opposite, that you would have more sympathy for a human being. I, I but, mean, you would. But I, I just, I don't understand. But I mean, of course, still the cat thing is so sad, but he was eight when he did that. So maybe he didn't touch an animal again and for some reason didn't have any problems with what he did or wanted to do to women. I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't understand this at all. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I totally get that. Yeah. But uh, years later in 1970, at the age of 22... He married a woman named Linda Schaefer, but just two years later, he raped and murdered a woman named Linda Fida, who lived in his apartment complex. So Linda Fida was born in 1951, and in the early 1970s, she was living in the Robin Hood Apartments in North Miami with her husband, Joseph. She was beautiful. I mean, she had previously won a beauty contest as Miss North Miami, And in 1972, she was working as a bookkeeper for a firm in Northwest Dade County, while her husband Joseph worked as a real estate salesman. And sadly, he was at work while his wife was murdered. So on March 29, 1972, Linda was found brutally murdered in her bathtub. She had suffered multiple stab wounds and had been strangled. When it was discovered within weeks of the attack that Paul Rolls was behind her murder, the truth came out. So he had seen Linda washing her clothes in their apartment building's laundry room, and after she went into her apartment, he entered through the unlocked door, attacked her from behind, stripped her, and blindfolded her. And though he had apparently gone there to rape her, the blindfold came off during the attack, and he realized that she would be able to identify him if he lived in the building. So he strangled her before stabbing her with several kitchen knives, and then he put her body in the bathtub. So fucking gruesome. And it's so gruesome, and that's why it's kind of weird to me that he's like, oh, I, 
I didn't want to kill her. You but know, she saw my face. Yeah, but, she, but then it's like, but then you do it so brutally. I, I, I don't know if you didn't want to do that so much, you know? Sounds like you maybe did want to do that. Right. And by the way, it was later determined that the original strangulation had killed her, meaning she was not alive during the stabbing, which, you know, not that any of this is good, but at least that. Right. Yeah. So during this investigation in Linda's apartment were two Band-Aids that were in a circular shape that had seemingly come off of the killer's feet, since they were about the size of toes and not fingers. And as investigators questioned people in the building, they noticed that Paul, who was wearing sandals, had two band-aids on his toes. Such an idiot, like, fucking moron. obviously you know that those came off at some point if you had to replace them. Yeah, exactly. Oh man. So it was pretty obvious that, you know, just from that, Paul was involved. And once police matched the band-aids to the ones at the scene, they quickly arrested him. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But his wife, Linda, was very adamant that he didn't do it, that it just wasn't like him. So it seems that she may not have uh, known her husband very well. Yeah, I would say. Because, <laughs> you know, he is a, I mean, just from what you were saying about his childhood, He's obviously a very sexually violent person, so maybe he didn't show her that side of him, but it definitely existed, and he said it existed. Right, and we can even talk about people like um, like BTK, same thing, family man. Yep. Nobody knew what was going on behind the scenes. Yeah, I, I, think, I always think it's interesting when somebody will say, oh, no, that's not like them. And you got to realize that some people just have a whole other side to them. Yeah, sometimes you just don't really know people fully. Yeah, totally. So anyway, so Paul told police that it all started when he was a kid, as we mentioned. He told the investigators that he only intended to rape Linda, as we also mentioned, and that he had seen her while watching her through his apartment's peephole. He would. Yeah, so sadly, police determined that if Linda had locked her apartment door she would have never been attacked, which obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah, I mean, she probably felt safe enough to keep it unlocked sometimes. And I don't know if this happened during the day or in the evening, but either way, she had no idea that something like this horrible would have happened to her. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you Like know, you're saying, hindsight's twenty twenty. She for probably sure. felt very safe in her own space. Yeah, totally. So the following year, Paul's wife divorced him while he sat in jail. And in March of 1976, he was sentenced to life in prison for Linda Fida's murder. But get this, this is so frustrating. So Ugh. in 1985, just nine years later, Paul was paroled. Why? That's all I have to say is fucking why? I don't know, like nine years? I mean, come on, like some a little bit more than that at the very least. Well, we're talking about how brutal this murder was. Yeah, and I, I didn't want to, I don't know, some people say that our show is like too PG or PG-13 or whatever. I completely disagree. But I, I don't like to get too, too graphic on this show because I just think a lot of us find it very disturbing. So I will say, though, that during the attack on Linda, the first knife that he used actually broke off in her body, which is why he went to grab more knives. That's how brutal this was. Yeah. So this guy gets out nine years later. What the F? So... Then three years later, in April of 1988, so less than one year before Tiffany went missing, he moved to her city of Gainesville, Florida. Now, at the time of Tiffany's disappearance, 40-year-old Paul was working for a construction company putting up scaffolding, and he was also a pizza delivery man for Pizza Hut. And interestingly enough, when he was interviewing for the construction company job and he was asked if he was on parole... Paul said that he was, but he lied, and he said that he had gone to prison for stabbing his father to death after his father beat him. So it was almost like he's trying to downplay it, like, oh, yeah, I stabbed my father to death, but it's because he attacked me. And he probably felt like he was not going to get the job if he had told the actual truth. Or I, I, I mean, mean I, I can't... yeah, dude, like you <laughs> yeah. murdered an innocent woman. 
So obviously this did not happen. He did not murder his father, but the owner believed him and was actually impressed by his honesty. So he hired him. Little did this guy know he was not being honest. No, but on the day Tiffany disappeared, Paul didn't show up for work. On top of this, when investigators put the pieces together years later, they interviewed Paul in January of 2013 while he was imprisoned for yet another crime, which we will discuss in a moment. During this interview, they learned that he kept an old address book with information on people he had killed. Heath, take it away. Here we go. So, when investigators checked out this book, they saw the name Linda Fida in it, who we know he actually did murder. And then a reference to another murder victim, Elizabeth Foster. Who we're going to go into in a second. But also, in the book, Paul wrote, number two, two nine eighty nine. Like two slash nine eighty nine, as in February 9th, 1989, the day that Tiffany Sessions disappeared. And number two would likely indicate that this is his second victim. And since we know that he murdered one person prior to 1989, this would make sense. But when police went to question him again within weeks of the first questioning, Paul died in a Florida prison at the age of 64 on February 13th, 2013 from lung cancer. So when they announced that they were interested in Paul as a suspect, you know, for Tiffany's case. They announced that like a year after he died. So they had spent all this time trying to put the pieces together. But the fact that they were just thinking like a month before he died that he could be connected. And while they're investigating this, he dies. Yeah, it's, it's so... It's like the Zodiac with um, Arthur Lee Allen dying. Yeah, it's just so frustrating because now you may never get the answers, right? Right, exactly. So they were never able to determine if he actually did kill Tiffany. And if so, what happened to her? One of the tips that came in back in 1989 was that someone had seen a young woman who looked like Tiffany get into a red car on the night that she disappeared. And Paul Rolls drove a red Bronco. And because of this and all the other information we've discussed, her family feels very positive that Paul killed Tiffany. And let's briefly discuss the likely third murder that Paul committed, the murder of 21-year-old Elizabeth Foster. So Elizabeth Foster, who went by Beth, was born in New Jersey to parents Helen and Richard, and she went missing on the evening of Thursday, March 15, 1992, so three years after Tiffany's disappearance. She had been attending Santa Fe Community College right there in Gainesville, Florida, as a sociology major who wanted to become a photojournalist. And on that evening, she left her Gainesville apartment in her car with just her purse, telling her roommate that she was going to Bivens, I think it's Bivens, Nature Park, to read a book. But she never returned. And I also read that this was common for her. She frequented parks to study or read. That's kind of what she did. I mean, that's a normal thing for a person to do. Absolutely. Three days later, her blue 1986 Honda CRX was found in a parking lot behind a restaurant just south of Williston Road, where Tiffany disappeared from. And then about a week after that, her nude body was discovered in a shallow grave just a half mile from where her car was found. And an autopsy showed that she died from a beating. So when they found her body, she had been severely beaten. And I just want to remind everybody that Megan Renaud, the 12-year-old who was murdered, that was by Michael Knickerbocker. So for anybody who's like, oh yeah, and that's similar with Megan's case because she was in a shallow grave as well. Remember, that is a different man. Two different A different people. horrible person. Yeah, and we've, you know, throughout this episode, we've talked about three pieces of shit. We've talked about Danny Rowling, <laughs> Michael Knickerbocker, and now Paul. Yeah, abs- yeah exa- exactly. So just to, to remember, these are different people, just so nobody gets confused. Right. So interestingly enough, in old newspaper articles discussing Elizabeth's disappearance and murder, Patrick Sessions spoke and compared the case to his own daughter, Tiffany's disappearance. So it's kind of strange that there was these, you know, two cases and that they were more than likely connected. And they didn't know this until 2013. Yeah, I agree because I 
went through a lot of these newspapers and I'm like, wow. And, and almost every single newspaper that I find on Elizabeth Foster, they mentioned Tiffany Sessions and they didn't know until 2013 that they, the cases are more than likely connected. But of course, at the time, they didn't know who had murdered Elizabeth Foster either, which you're about to get into. So carry on. Yeah. So back in 1992, so just three months after Elizabeth's murder, Paul left his then wife, Catherine, and moved to Jacksonville, where in 1994, he kidnapped a local girl and sexually assaulted her. He was sentenced to 19 years in prison for this crime, but in 2012, before he could be released, DNA evidence proved that he was behind Elizabeth Foster's murder. This DNA testing also pinned Paul Rolls to a 2008 sexual assault in Gainesville. With this discovery, that's when police began interviewing Paul for Tiffany's case, and then he died. So the timing on this is all very frustrating, because maybe Paul would have confessed had he not died. But now her family may never know what really occurred that February night in 1989, and her likely murder would have been avoided completely had a rapist and murderer not been paroled after nine years in prison. Yeah, the fact that Paul went on to kill two, if not more people after getting out, along with attacking and sexually assaulting who knows how many other people, when he should have been in prison for the rest of his life, it's just so messed up. And I, I do want to apologize if that timeline was a bit confusing. I know we went back and forth a little bit, but yeah, I mean, just this, this guy's horrible. He should have never gotten out of prison. Yeah, but the one thing that brings me a lot of joy is like the fact that in 2012, like he was probably going to be released. Like, so he had done all of this time and he's like, oh, I'm like, well, almost. he was going to be released the next year, like right. months later. Right. He's like, I'm almost out of here. And then they're like, well, wait a second. See, we tied you to another murder. Say you ain't getting out. But then he had to die. Yeah. Unfortunately, he did die before he could serve time for that crime. Or before he could confess because, you know, we know he confessed to Linda's murder back in the day. And maybe if he had realized that he was backed into a corner with Elizabeth's case, he would have confessed and then maybe would have confessed to murdering Tiffany if he really did do it. Which, in my opinion, just based on that very bizarre note in his phone book about number two, two nine nineteen eighty nine, what are the chances, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And um, I don't know. It just it makes sense to me. It, it all adds up. Yeah, hopefully someday they will be able to actually find Tiffany and they can be able to do like uh, DNA sequencing and figure out or at least be able to tie him to her case. Yeah, absolutely. Officially. I, I really hope so. And regarding that, so on February 9th, 2019, the Alachua County Sheriff's Office posted about Tiffany on Twitter writing, Tiffany, it's been 30 years. You went for a run and vanished. We haven't forgotten and neither has the community. We will continue to search for you until we have answers. And in recent years, the search for Tiffany Sessions, her body, continues as authorities search and excavate various areas in hopes of finding some kind of closure for Tiffany's family as well as her case. If you have any information about Paul Rolls or anything that could help Tiffany's case, Please call Detective Kevin Allen of the Alachua County Sheriff's Office at 352-384-3323. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of Going West. Yes, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. And on Friday, we'll have an all-new case for you guys to dive into. Again, if you guys are interested in an even more detailed account of this case, Tiffany's mother, Hillary, wrote a book called Where's My Tiffany back in 2011. So please check it out and support her if you'd like to learn more. Um, I got the ebook. You can get the ebook. I was just trying to get something quick. Um, or you can buy a hard copy or a paperback. Uh, I think whichever you prefer. I think I want to say I think I don't even know what is available, what prints are available. <laughs> I'm sure there is a a printed copy. Anyways, thank you guys so much. This case, just the fact that there's so little information about what happened to her, there's no evidence. 
But the fact that even without evidence, they were able to figure out that Paul Rolls likely abducted and murdered her. Or, you know, if she really was seen getting into a red car, was he kind of just talking to her? I mean, he was 40, she was 20, so I don't know yeah. if she would have gotten into his car. It just makes you think. Yeah, it definitely makes you think, um, but regardless, Paul Rolls is a douchebag. So Yeah, horrible. And So good riddance. 100%. But, uh, you know, Tiffany's family is still out there looking for answers, so please, please share this case. Yes, please share this case, everybody. And also... We plug this, um, we're, we're going to be plugging this a lot in the months of March and also April. We're going to be at CrimeCon in Las Vegas. So if you want to come meet Daphne and I, hang out, give us a high five, whatever, take some pictures, we're going to be there from April, what is it, April 28th? April 29th. April, sorry, April 29th through May 1st, we're going to be there. So if uh, make sure you get your tickets. You can go over to crimecon.com and use our code GOINGWEST to get 10% off of your standard badge, which I always say helps you, helps us. Yes, it's going to be a ton of fun. Can't wait. It'll be our first CrimeCon. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Thanks for sharing the show. We love you guys. All right, guys. So for everybody out there in the world, don't be a stranger. University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.